Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey there, this is Jillian on Love, and I am on a mission to teach as many people as I can how to revolutionize their romantic relationships by first transforming the relationship they have with themselves. So whether you are in a relationship, you're single, or you're heartbroken, I've got you covered. I'm Jillian Tarecki, certified relationship coach and teacher with over 20 years experience helping people transform their relationships with themselves through their bodies, breath, and minds. I have coached and taught now thousands to become better versions of themselves and change the way they show up in their relationships and in their love lives. Today's episode is called Ending the Cycle of Toxic and Abusive Relationships. I'm just going to get right into this and I want to start with some of the messages. I'll give you a couple examples of messages that I've received from people either through email or through social media direct messages. And these are just examples of the hundreds, literally hundreds of messages I've received over the years from people who are really struggling, some who seem to be in straight up abusive relationships, some who seem to be in relationships where are, that are just extremely unhealthy, where both people are treating each other terribly. So here I go. Dear Jillian, my boyfriend and I can't stop fighting and it gets really ugly. I lose control and start calling him names. He will give me then the silent treatment for weeks at a time. I look through his phone a lot because I was cheated on in my last relationship. And I think my boyfriend now might be having an emotional affair. I love him, but I don't know how to make this relationship work. Dear Jillian, my boyfriend and I had a great sex life the first two months of our relationship. Then he stopped having sex with me because he says the only way now he is able to get turned on is if we do threesomes with strangers or if he watches me have sex with other men. I'm not comfortable with this, but he keeps saying that it is good for our relationship. Otherwise, we'll just simply grow apart. Lately, when we fight, he is quite violent. No punches, but he does shove me. He says it's because he has mental illness. So I don't know if I should wait until maybe he goes on meds to see if all this changes. Hi, Jillian. 
I have a very tumultuous relationship with my girlfriend. She had a very difficult upbringing, which I am compassionate towards. I try very hard to be mindful of the fact that she has abandonment issues and to communicate in a way so she doesn't feel so threatened. But when she gets really triggered, she hits me. First she'll scream, and when I try to calm her down, that's when she starts hitting and kicking me until I have to physically remove her from me. When she calms down, when we both calm down, we talk about it and she feels really guilty. I don't want to be yet another person who lets her down, but I don't know how much more I can take. Lately, I've been barely eating and barely sleeping. When I was 28 years old, (laughs) I met someone, we'll just call him Jay, at the yoga studio that I went to all the time and the studio that I would soon become a teacher. He at the time was 36, handsome and charismatic. When I asked a friend who knew him what he was like, she said, hmm... I don't know. He's complicated. I'm not sure how he would actually be as a boyfriend, Jillian. When I look back at that brief exchange I had between myself and my friend at the time, it shocks me now to think I didn't see what she said as a warning, as a red flag. But I didn't. I saw it as a challenge to prove my value and to quote-unquote get him. I was attracted to him. And that was all I needed to know that I wanted him. We connected right away and dove head in first into a relationship in which I felt extremely desired and important to him for about a month, maybe a month and a half. Then his rage and manipulation surfaced. And it wasn't long before I was fully entrenched in an abusive relationship. I had a very loud inner voice. I knew Nothing was right, but I just couldn't end it. My self-worth, my self-esteem was just too low. Within the following couple of months, he manipulated his way into living with me in my 300-square-foot Manhattan studio apartment, even though I did not want him there. His business had gone bankrupt before we met, so he convinced me to get a credit card that he would be allowed to use. It eventually accrued debt, even though I was extremely responsible with money prior to meeting him. He called me a C-U-N-T every day, spit on me twice, and shoved me once. He would slam doors in my face, and once while we were arguing in the car while he was driving, he became so enraged that he threatened to drive the car into a wall and kill us. But make no mistake about it, this relationship brought out the worst in me, too. I read his diary. I searched his computer and found that he spent all day on porn sites. I would engage in fights with him under the guise of, quote-unquote, standing up for myself. I entered that relationship thinking I was a confident, strong young woman, but the truth was I didn't love myself enough to believe I was worth being treated with basic respect. 
I didn't love myself more than my desire to be loved. I thought I had a high standard, but as it turned out, it was quite low. I abandoned every part of myself in that relationship. And what I consequently experienced was soul deep pain. I eventually had to come to terms with the fact that I allowed such ugly behavior and that frankly, I still was in many ways a little girl afraid of her own shadow. When it finally ended after a year, I knew I would never visit the dark side like that again. And thankfully, I didn't. So unhealthy relationships that I would not consider to be one person abusing the other, but a truly just unhealthy relationship, I guess it would be what is so commonly referred to as a toxic relationship, certainly an overused term among many of the overused terms recently in the pop psychology psychiatrist, but a true toxic relationship is two people who are caught in a cycle of unregulated emotional states and ineffective communication, blaming each other for their unprocessed pain, projecting all their personal stuff onto each other. In these types of relationships, when they get really bad, people don't, they don't show each other respect. There's no respect. They don't respect who the other one is. They don't respect each other's boundaries. They don't respect each other's families. They don't respect each other's beliefs. They don't respect each other's bodies, time, or energy. And the hardest thing about these really unhealthy, toxic relationships, you know, you could call them abusive, but I'm right now speaking about two people who are really just treating each other terribly. The hardest thing about those kind of relationships, I think, is becoming someone we don't like. When I speak to people who are in the throes of this relationship, and many of them after leaving that relationship, the hardest thing is, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. And it's really hard to come to terms with our own participation in the drama. And yet, this is part of the process of accountability, of taking responsibility for the quality of our relationships. And when we're in a tumultuous relationship where there's a lot of fighting, we're name calling, we're just blaming each other, we're acting like, basically we're acting like defiant teenagers with one another. We have to take responsibility because it's the only way we're going to then break the cycle. And it's hard to say, wow, I did that. <laughs> I was part of that drama. So this is when you know something has to change. This could go if you're in a totally abusive relationship, an unhealthy relationship. Basically, you're in a relationship where these are the warning signs that something is incredibly wrong and needs to be addressed. And these are first the warning signs based on what you will experience in your body. 
excessive fatigue, body aches, no motivation, intense stress, dizziness, digestive stress, depression, anxiety, weakness, insomnia. Who we decide to be in a relationship with and how we decide to show up in a relationship, it literally is probably one of the most important decisions of our lives because a relationship has so much influence over our entire being, over our physiologies, our nervous systems. And so if you're in a relationship and you're starting to experience this intense physiological nervous system related distress, something is wrong. Something is wrong. And I can't say, you know, if it's abusive, if you're both being abusive, I could never say that unless I were to meet you. But I will say that something is very wrong and it needs to be addressed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Here are some signs of abuse, because I get this question a lot. You know, how do you know you're in an abusive relationship? And it's tough because, to be honest, I've had a fair amount of people seek out me to help them. And they say, you know, I'm in an abusive relationship. And what I later discover is actually you're in a relationship where you're both abusing each other. And you're really making each other the victim. And I've actually also have had people come to me and I say, you know, you are being abused (laughs) straight up. So when I talk about these signs of abuse, this is difficult, but you might recognize yourself in some of them. Some fair amount of you might be recognizing like, oh my God, this was done to me. And that might be in a way validating. It might answer that question that is haunting you, which is, am I being abused? Like, is this actually abuse? It might be a wake-up call that says, oh, wow, I'm not actually doing that with my partner, but I'm coming real close to that. I better check myself. I better address this within myself. So the first sign of what I would consider to be abuse and what most people, any professional would say is abuse is violence. So this, it's important that this is the first thing that is said because there are times we'll be in a relationship and we might unintentionally gaslight our partner. I will get to gaslighting in a moment. We will also unconsciously often manipulate our partners all the time, unconsciously. If we're very scared that they're going to abandon us, if we have a lot of attachment wounding, we might do things or say things that are not representative of what we really believe. They're not the truth because we want to manipulate the situation. We want to orchestrate a different outcome so that we are not left. That's manipulation. It's not manipulation with the intent to harm behind it, 
which really changes the quality of the manipulation. But it's important that we don't just throw around the word abuse because we are all guilty of being controlling. We are all guilty of manipulating. We are all guilty of gaslighting. But there's a spectrum and the context really does matter. So it's important that when you're trying to understand what abuse is, first and foremost, it is violence, physical violence, pushing, shoving, slapping, hitting. And it doesn't matter if if you're a woman. And even if you're a woman involved with a man, if you're just hitting him, And it's not out of self-defense. That is violence. Now, it gets much more intense the other way because generally speaking, men are much stronger than women. So you might be hitting your partner as a woman and not really be hurting them, but it doesn't matter that you're not hurting them. You're being violent. So violence of any kind, verbal violence, name calling. Now, this is tricky because... I think if we're all really honest with ourselves, the likelihood of us having to admit that at one point in our lives, we called someone, you know, a bitch or a dick or an asshole, you know, excuse my language, but we've done that. And that's wrong. I think that when we want to hold ourselves to a high standard, this idea of conscious relationship, this idea of conscious partner, We want to offset toxic masculinity, toxic femininity. You know, all these words, all these terms that are floating around in the ether right now, if we want to not be toxic and we want to be conscious, we have to hold ourselves to a standard. And that means we don't name call at all, even when we're very upset. Now, is it an abusive relationship if that happens once? No, but are you being wrong in that moment? Are you hitting below the belt? I'm saying that proverbially, I'm not saying that literally. Yeah, it becomes difficult. But I will say if there's consistent name calling, it's not just something that happens once and then the two of you make up and you make a pact to never have that happen again. But if it's consistent and if it's said with the intent to harm, which usually it is, let's face it, that's verbal abuse. But verbal abuse can also be excessive criticizing, putting people down, not just name calling. Oh, you'll never be able to do that. Or you're always like that. Or look at you. You're so weak. Or look at you. You're pathetic. Or you're fat. Or you're too thin. The constant putting down is a form of verbal and emotional abuse. That's not the same thing as giving constructive feedback, by the way, in case that is not obvious. The silent treatment is a form of emotional abuse. Typically, when someone is giving the silent treatment, this is not the same thing as saying, I don't want to talk. (laughs) It's not the same thing as saying, you know, I'm not available for this conversation right now. It's literally stonewalling someone. It's literally they say something to you and you just look the other way and they just look the other way when you say something to them. And these silent treatments can go on for days, weeks, and months. The silent treatment could also be 
where, you know, let's say you're living under the same roof and all they do is give you like yes or no answers to questions. They won't engage in conversation with you. They will completely shut that down. That is a form of manipulation and emotional abuse. Manipulating someone to cross their sexual boundaries is emotional abuse. Now, saying things like in one of the messages that were sent to me, oh, you know, I was so attracted to you in the beginning, but now in order for me to be turned on, I have to watch you have sex with other men. Now, you might be thinking, if someone said that to me, like, I would be out. Yeah, you're right. And I will get to that a little later in this episode about why some people are an easier target for abuse than others. But anytime you're not respecting someone's sexual boundaries, even if someone is not successful in trying to manipulate someone into crossing their own sexual boundaries, just the attempt, that manipulation of we're never going to last unless you do this. There's just an evil behind that. That's completely unacceptable. Gaslighting. Gaslighting, what it actually means is that it's when someone makes it so that you question your own reality. So you'll say something, hey, I really didn't like when you said that to me. What? I never said that to you. You said that. I never said that. So they flip it around and try to make it like you are the one who is responsible for the thing that you are asking them to take responsibility for. And it's crazy making. But true gaslighting is when there is an intent to confuse the other person. Because oftentimes we will get defensive, let's face it, in a relationship. And sometimes, you know, not that defensiveness is ever good, but sometimes we do feel really attacked in a relationship and we'll say, what do you mean? That's not what I did. I thought you, you know, you did this to me. So we do that all the time. And then we'll say that. And the other person will say, you're gaslighting me. You're abusing me. No, I'm just trying to defend myself. And we are having very ineffective communication, immature communication, unskilled communication. And I'm feeling very defensive. And then you're starting to feel defensive and gaslit. So I point this out because you see the ways in which things can unravel very quickly in a relationship if people don't have the skills to relate better to each other, which is exactly why I do the work that I do and why the countless other people who are in this field do the work that they do. So that these kind of unravelings don't happen. This distinction is incredibly important for me to emphasize and to reiterate, which is that You can't just accuse someone of gaslighting you when they're just simply defending themselves in a miscommunication. But you know you're being gaslit when you are constantly feeling confused after your conversations with someone. You're like, wow, I went in there with the best of intent. I feel that I communicated in a way that wasn't brash or harsh or accusatory. And now this conversation totally went from what I thought was going to be good into a total mess. And now I'm totally confused and I'm questioning myself and I feel awful about myself. That's a sign that you're being gaslit. And what's happening when someone is truly 
abusive and they use gaslighting as a manipulative tactic in the relationship. Their intent is to manipulate you for their own selfish gain, which really is to gain power in the relationship and thus power over you. I'm not going to dive deep into the psychology of the person who does this. All I'm saying is that this is how you recognize that it's happening to you. This is what they are doing. It is very dark. (laughs) It definitely comes from a place within them that is so pathologically insecure. It is not your fault, but that is sort of the essence of what this person is trying to do is to gain control. It is all about control. Abuse is all about control. When we are behaving like teenagers inside of a relationship, when we are really getting close to that line of being somewhat abusive towards our partner, we are dealing with wanting to gain control over them, over the situation, because we feel so out of control. Control is the name of the game. I want to make a note about narcissism because that's one of these things that's being thrown out all the time. Oh, you know, I think I'm involved with a narcissist. They're a narcissist. Unless you've actually dealt with a clinical narcissist, it's it's a whole different ball game. And the reality is, this is what I will say, is that there are a lot of selfish people out there. And there are some people who are so selfish that it's mind-boggling. And they're so selfish that they actually can't function in a relationship. Now, whether you want to term that as someone with narcissistic tendencies, whether they're clinically narcissistic, I understand the desire to understand it better, especially if you think that you've been a victim of narcissistic abuse. But everything that I'm describing could be seen as a narcissistic abuse. The truth is this, whether someone is actually a narcissist or maybe isn't clinically a narcissist, but you're questioning whether they're a narcissist. The truth is, whether they are or they aren't, you're describing a person who's incredibly immature, very selfish, very immature and very selfish. And immature and selfish is a horrible combination. It's like, stay away from that. (laughs) You meet someone immature, selfish, Whether you want to slap the diagnosis on them or not is irrelevant. Those are two things you don't want. And when they're in combination with one another, stay the heck away. But the better thing to do when you keep, quote unquote, attracting those people into your life and you keep finding yourself getting involved with these immature, selfish people, you have to ask yourself, why am I attracted to these people. And I'll circle back to that in a moment. Why do we get into these types of relationships to begin with? Whether they're super unhealthy and incredibly tumultuous evidenced by some of the messages that I read in the beginning, or whether they're just straight up abusive, like some of the things that I experienced and some of the other people experienced. Number one, low self-esteem. We'll often say When we are in a relationship with someone who doesn't treat us well, whether it falls in the spectrum of abuse or close to abuse or just does not treat us with respect, we can say this person really destroyed my self-esteem 
And there's some truth to that. And it's part of the reason why it's so difficult to leave these relationships is that our self-esteem gets so low inside of it because we're being manipulated or abused that it becomes impossible to leave. But if we're really honest with ourselves, we have to be honest with ourselves and say, you know, my self-esteem was too low to begin with. And that is why I actually tolerated this. And, you know, we can say when we're not in a relationship, I would never tolerate that. I would never be in that kind of unhealthy relationship. I would never act that way. I would never allow anyone to act that way towards me. We can say that all we want, but once we're actually very attached to someone, once we're really attracted to them, once we're like caught up in the sticky web that is an unhealthy relationship, that's when our courage and self-esteem is really put to the test because it takes a strong enough sense of self-esteem to not ever let ourselves get seduced by anyone who would do that. This is tough. It's tough for me to say, but I do feel that I can speak about it with great authority because I was once in an abusive relationship. So I understand. And I experienced a lot of emotional abuse growing up from my father. So I understand. Number two of why we get into these types of relationships. So number one is low self-esteem. Number two, chemistry. Yep, it's chemistry. When the chemistry is so strong that you lose your mind and throw all your boundaries and standards out the window, you are headed into a storm of neglect, unmet needs, and even possibly abuse. You combine that with a hunger for love that isn't matched or surpassed with a certain degree of standard that you have for yourself and for others and how you expect to be treated by another human being. When your hunger for love is stronger than your standard, that's when we get into a lot of trouble with chemistry. Now, if this is resonating with you, I definitely think that if you have not already, I recommend that you listen to my podcast episode called Why Do You Keep Finding Yourself Attracted to Unavailable and Find Healthy Boring? So listen to that for sure. I think it'll be a nice compliment to this podcast if you're really resonating with the chemistry piece. Attraction is very important. If sex is important to you, you need to have physical attraction to someone that you're with. But we have to be discerning. Not everyone that we're physically attracted to is good for us. And we have to be able to recognize the ones who are not good for us and go for the ones who are. And that's really important. And if we are feeling out of control attracted to someone and that has led us down an unhealthy path then we have to get out and not go there. Chemistry can be extremely unreliable, extremely unreliable. And like I said, if you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, I'm not attracted to those who are good for me, then listen to my other podcast episodes. Number three, context. If you are someone 
who has found yourself in an unhealthy relationship, whether it's toxic, whether it's tumultuous, whether it's straight up abusive, anything that you're just like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. This is bad. Or you have a track record of having these kind of relationships. You have to ask yourself, what were you going through at the time when you met the person? Because this is really important and not enough people recognize this or discuss this, but it's actually incredibly important. In other words, were you going through a particularly rough time in your life when you met them? For whatever reasons, was your life unstable in some way? Was there some instability in your life? Had you been single for a long time? Had you been single for a long time and felt sort of dead inside, like not alive inside? And so you met someone and There was all this attraction and you felt like this spark, like this life be reignited inside of you. And, you know, when we feel so bored in life or we feel or we're single for a long time and we haven't been touched for a long time, we haven't experienced romance and attention for a long time. And then someone comes into our life and there's that connection and it reignites that fire inside of us that is extremely intoxicating for anyone. And it takes a lot of very strong sense of self and wisdom to be able to walk away from someone who ignites that in us. So sometimes it's like, we're just really bored or we've been single a long time and our lives lack some sort of meaning, you know, and it could be that like, maybe you're a woman and you really want a family so badly. And then you're get into this whole scarcity mindset and you're so afraid. Oh my God, what happens if I don't meet someone? And then, you know, we get involved and we're like, something's not right. But then we keep justifying it because we don't want to go back to being alone. It's that instinctual reality, fear inside of us to not be alone. And then number four, what did you witness growing up? Did you watch your mom get abused? Did you watch your father get abused? Did you see them abusing each other? Did your, one of your parents have really low self-esteem? What did you learn about love? Did you learn that love was all about self-sacrifice? Did you learn that love was always about the other person and never yourself? Did you learn that love is hard and fights are a part of healthy relationships, but you know, name calling, putting each other down, violence of any kind. Did you learn that that was just part of the deal when really it's not? So this is why we even get into these relationships to begin with. And you'll see that there's some overlap here when I talk about why do we stay in these relationships? Number one, not surprising, low self-esteem, like I said, which gets worsened while we're in the relationship, making it even harder to leave. That's why we stay. Number two, which might surprise you because it's actually meeting some of our needs, not in a healthy way, not in the most empowering way, but it is actually meeting some of our needs. It's meeting some of our needs for certainty. So for example, sometimes people are so afraid of the unknown that they'd rather stay in the familiar relationship that's breaking their heart every day. Lots of people who stay in these relationships are ironically and paradoxically getting their needs met for feeling like important and loved because usually in these kind of relationships, and as you know, as I've already outlined, I'm speaking of a really broad spectrum of just like a tumultuous, unhealthy relationship where both of you are treating each other like crap. I'm talking about straight up abusive relationships. I mean, it is a spectrum. It can be confusing, but 
Again, if you are in anything that you're like, wow, something is very wrong, you have to understand that the reason why, so that you can have some insight into yourself or insight into your friend who's going through this or insight into your family member who's going through this. Because, you know, what we don't understand, we can't heal. So if you're going through any of this, you have to understand that it's not like it's bad all the time. There are moments where things are good and then you can feel really important to this person. And it's this very weird paradox. As I remember, I was in a really unhealthy, abusive relationship with a friend of mine when I was in the sixth grade and the seventh grade, and she was just a mean girl to me. But then on the weekends, it was like, I was her best friend again. I hung out with her and her mom, who was this famous designer. And we would go to like these beautiful places. And I felt so important and so significant. I felt like she really needed me and depended on me. And then we would go back to school during the week and she would totally gaslight me and ghost me and give me the silent treatment, all this crazy manipulative stuff. And we were so young. She didn't know what she was doing. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I just, but I remember saying to my mom that I needed help. But I share that example just to say that these kind of relationships can start really young and they don't necessarily have to be romantic relationship. That's really why I wanted to share that for the parents who are listening. And also because Sometimes the person who is doing the most damage to our self-esteem is also at the same time, at times making us feel like the most important person in the room. And it's very confusing. Number three, the addictive cycle of it almost ending and then the periods of good times. There, like what I just described, there's something addictive to that. It's the roller coaster that your nervous system gets habituated to. And part of the reason of that is that, you know, when things are bad, you feel very out of control and then things are good, you feel in control or things are bad and you feel very insignificant and then things get good and then you all of a sudden feel very significant to the person and then you feel like you have, maybe sometimes you feel like you even have control over them. Maybe sexually you feel like that's where you have control over them. Maybe sexually that's where you feel their vulnerability even though every other time they're mean to you and horrible to you and confusing to you, but at least in the bedroom, that's when you feel your power again. And it's like, it becomes like a drug. And then the last one, which is really important and probably the most devastating of it all is money. There are people who stay in these types of relationships because they don't have anywhere else to go. They don't have the money. And I will, if you are in this situation or you know someone in this situation, I will link some resources in the show notes so that you can get help. So the first thing I want to say is if you are in an abusive relationship, your primary goal has to be to get out. There's no working on your relationship if there's real abuse, if there's violence in any way and all the stuff that I outlined. There's no getting it back on track. It will never get back on track because it was never on track. You may have had a very brief honeymoon in the beginning, but it was never really on track and you have to get out. If you're both hurting each other, you can't just work on your relationship. You have to work on yourselves individually as well. If you're using each other 
as these receptacles for your unprocessed pain and trauma. Can you work on it? And you know, I, there's no stock answer for this. It just depends on how far to the dark side two of you have gone together. It just depends on how much trust is left or if it's completely broken. Because for two people who are unkind to each other and in this sort of tumultuous relationship where they take responsibility for nothing, they're just, they're literally, it's like two traumatized teenagers in a relationship with one another. It's a nightmare. The only way to actually steer that relationship onto a better, healthier path is that you would have to commit to the path forward, which means rigorous individual work, rigorous couples work, and an agreement to let go of the past. And what I've found in my practice is that a lot of people can't move forward because they can't let go of the past because those are the cases where too much damage has been done. You have to let go of the past if you want to commit to a path forward. Okay, so now I actually want to talk about what I've been really longing to talk about, which is healing from a toxic and or abusive relationship. How to heal? Because that's usually where I like to come in. Because if you or anyone you know has been in this kind of situation, after it's done, it's like, it's, the pain is very overwhelming and it's very confusing. You're grieving them even though they were terrible to you. You're also having to confront the fact that you were in this for so long. You feel disoriented. I'm speaking also from personal experience. It's extremely painful. It's like in many ways going through just a regular breakup and it's like on steroids. So number one, you need to talk to someone. If you've been in this kind of relationship, you need some sort of professional help. I, therapist, coach, mentor, spiritual teacher, whatever works for you. I, I really think that there's many paths to healing, but talking to someone who has some experience in helping people process their relationships, I strongly urge that. So part of the delusion that defines unhealthy relationship of any sort is that we don't see the other person clearly. We would rather see it as our fault or we're only seeing their quote unquote good parts or we don't have a strong enough blueprint or compass of what healthy behavior is. So we're constantly making excuses for them even after the fact, after the relationship is ended, you know, because sometimes we'll be longing for them and grieving them. And so it's important. I always help people to see the other person more clearly, meaning for who they really are. And that is something that you will likely need help with and not romanticizing them, not putting them on the pedestal, not empathizing with them. This is probably, in my view, the most important thing that I will say in this entire episode 
and perhaps not the easiest thing to hear. But like I said, mark my words, it is the most important thing when it comes to healing. One has to learn how to become the person who would never allowed what happened to happen again. I'll say that again. One has to learn how to become the person who would never allow what happened to happen again. That they would never allow that from themselves, from the other. They just would never allow that to go down again, whatever it is that went down. And learning how to become the person who would never find themselves in that position again is a process of learning to love oneself, heal from old trauma. It could mean healing relationships with certain family members or friends. For some people, it might mean getting sober or treating other issues, maybe addictive issues, food issues. It'll probably mean finding more meaning in your life, whether that's through community, whether that's through the work that you do or don't do. It is basically focusing on your life and getting your life in order so that you can meet, so that one can meet, so that we can meet their most important needs. It means strengthening one's nervous system and their entire physiology with exercise, with meditation, with other things that they will have to do every single day to tone their nervous systems so that through the toning of their nervous system, their psychology also gets stronger. This is not an overnight process. After these quote-unquote types of relationships that I've been referring to throughout this episode, the only silver lining, if you will, of coming out of a relationship that shakes us to the very core and terrifies us, we're terrified by what we saw in another person and also what we perhaps saw in ourselves. The only silver lining in that is the motivation that it gives us to change. A word on empathy. Since I do think of myself as a very empathetic person, empathy with no boundaries is how we become doormats in life. I'll say that again. Empathy with no boundaries is how we become doormats in life. So we can have empathy but if our empathy doesn't extend to ourselves, if we're just constantly feeling compassion for someone's difficult childhood, and that compassion and empathy is overriding the fact that because of their difficult childhood, they're abusing us, which is never an excuse, that's when that empathy that you have is not a gift, it's a poison. <laughs> And so when we have empathy, we have to learn how to have empathy for others while at the same time maintaining very basic boundaries, which is to be treated well. And you can absolutely, we can have compassion for someone from miles and miles away, 
We can say, I hope they get their life together. Some of you might say, I'll pray for them every day. They'll be in my meditation. I wish them the best, but stay away from me. The ultimate aim of healing after these types of relationship is learning how to trust ourselves again, because I think that probably one of the most difficult things, like I said in the beginning of this episode, is like it's confronting ourselves. Like, how did I ever become the person who would allow this? How can I ever then trust myself again? And all the things that I outlined, this is how you start to trust yourself again with help by talking to someone, by learning how to love yourself. Please listen to my episode titled how to actually love yourself and build your self-esteem. It was designed for you. It's learning how to trust when the hairs on the back of our necks go up. Because I guarantee any single one of you or anyone you know who's ever been in a really unhealthy, toxic, abusive, and or situation with someone, guaranteed your instinct was talking to you, your intuition was talking to you. There were moments where you felt this is not right, even if it did not translate as a thought in your brain, your body definitely felt it. And typically you did have the thought, but you may have muted it, but it was there. And so it's learning to really honor that and to whenever the hairs, so to speak, start to stand up on the back, on your back and the back of your neck, that is the most primal. You see it in dogs, you see it in animals. It is their instinct that there might be some danger. You pay attention always. And you don't justify it away. It's easy to justify it away, especially if you've been conditioned by culture, society, and family to be the loving, nurturing, empathetic, self-sacrificing. You know, not everyone has that conditioning, but if that was your conditioning, then this particular section is really, really devoted to you. It's so important. And I want to add something because... So much of my work and the work of my colleagues, we talk a lot about the reality of being in a long-term relationship and to get rid of this idea of the one and someone's going to come in and just rescue you. And just, you know, it's important to give people just a really strong dose of reality. But that being said, you have to understand the power of relationship. A relationship has the power to really increase and enhance the quality of our lives And it also has the power to completely destroy us. That is the power of relationship. A relationship, when it's good, it gives us wings. It gives us wings. We want to soar, we can fly, and we know that there is a nest to come home to. When it's bad, it snips those wings right off and we are immobilized. So a relationship has tremendous influence over our lives and impact on our health. And it can add to our vitality. So a relationship should feel so safe. And these unhealthy relationships are the definition of unsafe. It should feel so safe. The relationship itself becomes a foundation in your life. When you're in a safe relationship, it's not a perfect relationship, but when it feels safe, we feel better taking risks. It's easier for us to take risking lives. You see people who get into these relationships that are very secure and it's like all of a sudden they're starting to do so well in their work because they feel that support and that foundation. So they start to take these really good risks in life. And like I said, they build wings. 
And I want you to know that if you're someone who has a history of these really challenging relationships, I'm telling you right now that no relationship is perfect, but it really should on some level give you some wings and it should feel good and it should feel really safe. And then lastly, I want to talk about respect in a relationship because at the core, what am I talking about is just being with someone who has no respect for you or being someone who's not showing your partner any respect. Respect is so important. Here's a general list of what I have found to be a good barometer for respect in a relationship. Number one, and I'm sure there's more that I'll think of later and think, oh God, I wish I added that, but I'll start with this list. Number one, you listen to one another. This means you don't dismiss each other's point of views. You don't consistently interrupt, talk over each other, or ignore your significant other when they are talking to you. Instead, you care about what they have to say. You honor each other's perspective of life. That's number two. You don't try to persuade or manipulate in order to change your partner. We all come to life with a different perspective because we all have a different blueprint of life. We've all been trained differently by family, by culture. And so we have a different perspective. And so we have to honor each other's perspectives of life. It doesn't mean you have to agree, but you have to at least, you, you can't try to tell them that they're wrong or have to respect. Three, you honor your partner's boundaries and you teach your partner what your boundaries are so that they can do the same for you. Number four, you accept them for who they are. And when you think they are off base, you tell them free of criticism and blame. That doesn't mean that you don't walk away from something that isn't working for you. It just means if what's really important to you is to run every day, I'm not going to try to change you into not running. You know, if you're an artist, I'm not going to try to change you into going down the corporate route. I have to honor the fact that you're an artist and that's who you are. Next one, you honor their feelings and never make them feel crazy or uncool for having them. Six, you never harm each other in any way intentionally. Look, we will hurt each other and we will unintentionally and unconsciously break each other's hearts all the time, but we have to be mindful. And if you ever have an intention to hurt or to punish your partner, there is no respect there. Next, you own your part. Sometimes the most simple and basic respect that we have for another person and for ourselves, quite frankly, is to own our part. Responsibility, accountability. Next, you pay special attention to their needs, especially the ones that are unique to them. You do your absolute best to meet their needs. You speak highly of them to others. You never put down your partner to them or to anyone else. That's different than constructive criticism or feedback. And then Last two, when you are not with your significant other and you are in the company of others, you do not behave in a way that would undermine your partner or their place and role in your life. So in other words, you're out at a party, your partner's not there, you're not doing or saying anything that you would not do or say if your partner was standing right next to you. And then last, 
You honor your relationship. When you respect your bond, you respect the other and vice versa. And that's basically honoring the relationship is just basically everything that I just list beforehand. Okay, so this was a long episode. It was an in-depth episode. I really just want to say that if you're going through this, you're not alone. I know what it's like. I know it's so hard. Please find someone to talk to. Even if you're like, maybe it's not abusive. Maybe I'm not quite sure. If you're even wondering and you're having all these physical symptoms and you are in pain, speak to someone who can help you navigate this time. Don't do it alone. Don't stay in something that's doing this to you. Don't keep it the way that it is. Reach out for help. This episode was about ending the cycle of unhealthy, toxic, and even abusive relationships. And, you know, all I can say is, even if this doesn't apply to you, chances are you know someone or have known someone who is going through something like this, even if it's on the most mild form of the spectrum, just something. So you never know whose life you could be significantly changing by sending them this episode. So please share this. This is the kind of episode that really does need to go viral because there are so many people who are in relationships where they're either being abused, which is awful, or they're just not proud of. And I want them to know that there is a way to change and to heal. So if you have any comments about this episode, any questions that you want to ask that I will answer in, or I will at least try to answer and review and answer for my subscription part of Jillian on Love, which is Jillian on Love Plus, which is out on Thursdays. You can get through Patreon or through Apple Podcasts. That's just something different. If you want to ask a question that could be answered on that or any other question, just please email us at hello at jillianonlove.com. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share. And I thank you so much for listening. Jillian on Love is a Q Code production, executive produced by David Henning and Steve Wilson. Produced by Ryan Countshouse. Edited in music by Will Tendy. Hi, just checking in and seeing if you might want to step away from the noise of the world for just a moment and connect back to you. If so, join me on my podcast, Letting It Settle with Michael Gallion, where we'll explore mindfulness, self-love, and personal growth as I share practical insights and tools to hopefully help inspire you to start to take charge of your mental and emotional well-being. Search for Letting It Settle with Michael Gallion on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.